a very necessary topic. Yeah. Very necessary because the question isn't, will you suffer? But when you suffer, how will you respond? It isn't, will you suffer? But when you suffer, how will you respond? Because I think that we all know that suffering is inevitable in this world. It is inevitable in your lifetime to not experience suffering. Suffering affects everyone at every age. Suffering does not discriminate. The rich suffer and the poor suffer. The non-believer suffers and the believer suffers. So how do we make, as believers, as people who have trusted in Jesus, how do we make our suffering count? Because it can. And how do we reconcile suffering in light of the gospel? How do we reconcile suffering in light of God's goodness? How do we reconcile suffering, this dark topic, and bring light into it? Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we love you in this place. Yes, Lord Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to have your way here tonight. Oh, God, I ask that you would allow your daughters to receive the revelation of the fellowship of suffering, of how suffering could bring about goodness and newness of life. Oh God, help us to capture this revelation so that we can continue to live lives that bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, people have been asking me and, and sort of asking amongst our group here tonight, we see God's we see God's very evident display of restoration in your life. But how, but how did you come to forgive? What did you think of? How, how did you pray? How did you come to the place where you now have peace with what happened to you? And so that's what I want to share about tonight in specific. And what God, how I was able to gain a bigger picture perspective of what happened to me personally. For anybody who maybe came late um, and doesn't know my story, I was, I was born into a very abusive household and I was sexually molested by my father for 10 years. And so, so here I am today and I'm 100% healed and, and made whole and am now called to minister out of my affliction. I'm not called to minister out of success or because I wrote some book, I am literally called to minister out of my afflictions. Mm -hmm. And so I remember the exact day and story in which I got that aha moment. Mm -hmm. And it was through a story of a boy named Joseph. A boy named Joseph. And Jacob was his father. And you'll remember Jacob because Jacob was the dude who waited seven years for his wife. Yeah. And then his father-in-law pulled a fast one on him and was like, psych. <laughs> You're going to marry my first daughter, so I know that she's going to be taken care of. 
and then you're going to wait another seven years so that you can marry my other daughter, which was his first love, the one that he wanted so bad, Rachel, right? And so now we fast forward, and we get a picture of Jacob's life and into his family. And so Jacob had 12 sons. He had uh, six with Leah. That was drama in and of itself. It is completely a whole other story, but you got to read it. So he had six with Leah. He had two with Rachel, and he had another four with some concubines. Talk about blended family drama. <laughs> you know. Okay, so right when this scene unfolds, we know, okay, this is... These are real people having real human experiences. There's jealousy, there's competition, there's all sorts of things going on. And the, as the scene unfolds in, in the book of Genesis, we read that Jacob, that Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. He was the favored one, and he was the baby at the time. And only 17 years old. And in the first paragraph, we read that he sends out Joseph to go check on his older brothers. Okay? Parents take note. You don't send your little one to snitch on what your older siblings, on what your older uh, sons and daughters are doing because it's going to create some hostility. Mm -hmm. And so the Bible says that they hated Joseph because of it. They hated Joseph for being the favored one, and they hated him for always being the person who would snitch and sort of come back and report. And so one day, Joseph has a dream. And in this dream, we're going to have a picture come up here. In this dream, he had a dream that there was some, that him and his brothers were collecting grain and they were piling them up into sheaves. Okay? And so what you see there are sheaves. And the she, his sheaves stood up straight. And the rest of the sheaves were bowing down. And so he runs and tells his brothers, hey, check this out. I had this dream. And my sheave was standing up straight, and all your sheaves were bowing down. So let me just tell you this right here. When the Lord gives you a glimpse into your future, or when the Lord shares a bit of your calling, be careful who you share that with. <laughs> be very careful. Be discerning who you share that with because not every sister has gone through Melody's sisterhood workshop. <laughs> they haven't. And so you need to be able to discern, how, are, is this sister going to be happy for me? And I hope that you wouldn't intentionally share so that you can incite envy in their heart. But I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you're not doing that. And that you're really just so excited you can't wait to share good news. Obviously, as sisters, we should be able to celebrate and enjoy each other's achievements and whatever God is doing in each other's lives. But Joseph is only 17 years old. And see, he goes to his brothers with this news, and I'm assuming he's hoping that his brothers are going to be happy for him. But let's read what Genesis 37, 8 says. His brothers respond, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And so the next time Joseph uh, is seen 
They see his Joseph coming down because his father asked him to go check up and, and come back with a report on how his brothers are doing. And when they see Joseph coming down, they're like, oh, it's the dreamer. I mean, just big time hating on him, right? And so then they start discussing amongst themselves and they start to conspire to kill their brother. They conspire. Okay, so this is, they said, listen, when he comes here, Let's throw him in a pit and let an animal eat him. I mean, total lack of regard for sanctity of life. No remorse, no conviction. You all, this is pure evil. They had such a deep-seated hatred in their heart for their little brother that they truly said, let's kill this guy. We cannot stand him there. His own flesh and blood betraying him and saying, let's just kill him. And so they go ahead, they grab Joseph, and they throw him into a pit. <coughs> Poor guy, right? And so later on that day, they're discussing amongst themselves, and they see a caravan go by. And they're like, what are we thinking? Why should we just kill him? Let's make a profit off of him. And so they sell Joseph into slavery. Hello, human trafficking. Hello, human trafficking. So their own brother, their own blood. So they sell him into slavery. Uh, there was one brother in particular that actually had a conscious Reuben, and he went to go back and find him, and he couldn't find him there anymore. So they had to uh, create a cover-up. And so they take Joseph's uh, robe that his father had made him, the robe of many colors, and they dipped it in blood and made a cover-up and said an animal had torn him into pieces, sending Jacob into a period of deep mourning for his favorite son. Meanwhile... Jacob gets sold into slavery into a man named Potiphar's house. And Potiphar is a captain of the guard. Okay, so he's, he's sort of this high official that works for Pharaoh, who is sort of equivalent to, the, to a king, right? And so, but check this out. Just when we think we're reading another sad story, God pulls a fast one on us. And scholars believe that Moses was the one who penned the book of Genesis. And so look what Moses writes here. He says in Genesis 39, 2 through 4, it says, the Lord, But the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master, for his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Out of nowhere, God challenges our thinking. Because I don't know about you, when I'm reading everything about Joseph, I think the average person wouldn't say, boy, the Lord really must have been with Joseph. I think what we're thinking is, oh my gosh, this is a tragedy. This is horrible. What a run of bad luck, right? What a run of bad luck. But no, scripture challenges our perspective 
of what's happening to Joseph here. And says, but the Lord was with Joseph. And isn't it just like life? Like right when you think you got everything squared away in life, you got that new promotion, right? Joseph was just made head of Potiphar's house. You got that new promotion. You got that new car. You got that new apartment. You're, you're, you just paid off all your debt. And then boom, God is like, behold, I'm doing something new. <laughs> and the new isn't good. And you're like, Lord, but why? I just got this debt behind me. I just got this new car. And now I need to fix the engine. And now you're telling me I just bought a lemon? And that's what happened to, to, that's what happened to Joseph. Potiphar's wife is what happened to Joseph. There she is. Potiphar's wife doesn't have a name, so I call her Lucy. And there she is. Lucy. And the Bible says that Joseph, and the Bible doesn't say this about many men in the Bible, so... They mean it. Yeah. It says that Joseph, Joseph was a well-built man and was handsome. And so Flusi noticed Joseph, the well-built, handsome man. And there she is, and she's considering, hmm. And so she makes him a proposal. She says, say, how about you and me, you know? And he's like, oh, heck no. Your husband has entrusted me to all that he has, but you. How could I ever do this? You ever been somewhere where you're just like, you're trying to do something right? Mm -hmm. And then you, get, you pay for it somehow? You're like, man, but I was trying to do the right thing. But I was trying to do the right thing, man. And now I got to pay for it? You're trying to, maybe some, something at home, like you're trying to cover up for your sister or your brother or something, and then you're the one who gets the whooping. <laughs> it was kind of like that. Joseph's like just trying to do right by his boss. And do you know what Potiphar's wife did? She frames him. And when he did what the Bible said, well, see, that, that part of scripture wasn't written yet, but he fled from temptation. Right. And on his way of fleeing, she grabbed a portion of his robe or his garment, and she used that to frame him. Boy, Joseph must have some bad luck, right? But look what scripture says. So Joseph, so by the way, when Potiphar comes home, Flusi number one is like, oh, look what happened. He tried to force himself on me and accuses him of raping her, or trying to force himself upon her. And so poor Joseph gets thrown in jail, the Bible says, for at least two years. He was unjustly imprisoned for two years. So he went from being the favored child at his father's household to being betrayed by his own flesh and blood, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, and now thrown in, in prison unjustly. But look what scripture says. Genesis 39 says, but the Lord was with Joseph. 
and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Goodness. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. I feel like, I feel like God is trying to say something to us in all of this. I think what God is trying to say is, in the midst of suffering, child, I am with you. In the midst of your suffering, oh daughter, I am with you. The great I am is with you. He will never leave you and he will never forsake you. He's saying, I'm with you in your suffering. I'm with you in that season of waiting. I'm with you in your pleading. I'm with you at night when you worry and you're full of your anxiety attacks because you don't know when you're going to catch your next break in life. God is saying, I am with you. Yes. I am with you. And he was with Joseph. Amen. And so Joseph's in prison. And, and he's doing his thing even there. But God divinely orchestrates that he's needed to interpret a dream. And so God brought Joseph in the midst of his suffering before a king. Yeah. God brought Joseph in the midst of his suffering before a king. He rightly interprets the dream. And Pharaoh says, what man in all the land has wisdom like this? I'm going to appoint you. Because what happens was is that he had a dream. God was warning the king that there was going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And so Joseph said, listen, this is what you need to do, right? Because he's a farmer's son. He knows exactly what he needs to do. And so God's, uh, Pharaoh said, well, who else but you? And promotes Joseph. Promotes Joseph in the midst of his suffering to second, of, second before Pharaoh. Pharaoh's right-hand man. Almost like a governor. And I feel like God is saying something there as well. What if God is saying your suffering is really a promotion? What if your suffering is only the tool, is only the instrument in which God is using to take you from one place to another? Because if you really think about it, if we have the bigger picture here now, Joseph wouldn't be even in the palace, had he not been sold into slavery. That's right. wow. Joseph wouldn't understand the governmental system of Egypt had he not been sold into slavery. He was so much of the favored child that Jacob would have never let him go. And so what God is saying is that, listen, child, you've got to trust me in the midst of your suffering because I'm working things in the background. I'm working it all out. And so during the famine, it just so happened that guess who came around and needed some grain? His brothers. Isn't it ironic that the people who hurt you end up needing you in the end? Come on, that's right. 
The people who hurt you end up needing you in the end. And here his brothers come and they need grain because of the famine in the land. And so here God divinely orchestrates a time of reconciliation between him and his brothers. And when his brothers see the stature and the manner of man that Joseph is, they were terrified. They thought that Joseph was going to put a hurting on them. But look, Joseph has had a big, bigger picture perspective now. He's come... See, when we're in the midst of suffering, see, Joseph was a human just like you and I. You know he was like, Lord, what on earth have I done to deserve this? Yeah. How could you abandon me? I'm in prison for doing what, Lord? For just doing your will and being an obedient son. Why is this happening to me, God? But Joseph has, has had some time with the Lord. And he's he has a new perspective. And look at what he says to his brothers here. In Genesis 45, 5, he says, Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. That is powerful. Mm. And that is where I received my revelation. If I were to see my father and he even attempted to apologize, I would say, <laughs> no need, don't be distressed. Mm. Don't be distressed and don't even be angry with yourself. Wow. Don't even be angry with yourself because it was to save lives. Mm. Mm. So good. Because it was to save lives. Wow. Yeah. Do you know what that says to me? It says, my pain means life in you. Wow. Yes. My pain means life in you. And your pain means life in another. And so suffering brings about this perpetual comfort that goes on from generation to generation to generation. And here we are today still finding comfort in Joseph's suffering. Mm. Your suffering is producing a comfort for somebody for yes. generations to come. For generations to come. Honey, your suffering is not in vain. Your suffering is not in vain. Oh, but it gets better. And then in Genesis 50, 20, it says later, Joseph again reassures his brothers, offering forgiveness and saying, listen, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good. Do you know what that says to me? It says man's most wicked intentions can never thwart the perfect plan of God. Wow. That scripture is a cross-reference for Romans 8.28. Yeah. That is a cross-reference for Romans 8.28. For I'm working all things out for your good, for those who love me, and for are called according to your purpose. He's working it out all for your good. Even for those who sinned against you, he is working it out for your good. Amen. For your good. Come on, you got to catch this, ladies. Yeah. You need to catch this bigger picture perspective. 
Your suffering is not in vain. It's working up something in and through you. Let me tell you, Joseph being the favorite child in the farm could never be the refined, the refined man of character he has through suffering as Pharaoh's right hand. Never envy somebody who's got it easy because easy doesn't produce a warrior out of you. Easy doesn't produce a warrior out of you. Suffering. Whenever have you heard somebody say, goodness, all this convenience and luxury has just really built me up so much character. <laughs> My gosh. I just, I really need... I just really need some more laps and luxury. I really need some more leisure because I'm just, I'm really conforming into the image of Christ Jesus through all of this. Oh no, it is through your suffering, honey. It is through your suffering. It's a mystery, isn't it? But God chooses suffering to conform us and refine us. It's almost like a, it's almost like a hidden principle that's everywhere. It's a hidden principle that's everywhere, that suffering, there's something about suffering that creates a newness of life. Mm -hmm. A woman is experiencing suffering before a baby is born. Yes. Yep. <coughs> suffering produces a newness of life. The suffering psychologically and spiritually in you is producing a newness of character. Listen, Jesus himself experience suffering on the cross before the resurrection newness of life newness of life the patterns are everywhere and you know I really believe that all suffering is God ordained and that is a really good thing you might think oh man you know when I first read the book of Job, I was so traumatized. I was like, Lord, you let what happen to Job? And it was your idea? It was like, as a new believer, I read that and I was like, man, you just, you, you just voluntold Job unto Satan. And you, and it, to me, it was like, man, you just volunteered him to like be in this like spiritual wrestling match to find out how much Job could take until he tapped out. That's how I saw it as a new believer. But I wasn't mature in Christ to see that really God had so much faith in Job's response as a disciple, as a, as a servant. Job was the most upright and blameless. And so what, and the, the most upright and blameless. So when I see this, I'm like, wait a second. He knew Job could take it. He knew Job had what he needed. And we see this when Jesus talks to his disciples and he says, you know what? Um, if you want to be my disciple, Peter, because see, Jesus had just revealed to his disciples that he was going to have to suffer and die on the cross and be resurrected on the third day. But Peter, hearing this, freaked out. He's like, oh, no, Lord, let this never happen. And Jesus was like, get behind me, Satan. You have the things of the world in mind, right? Because when we think of suffering, it is something naturally to be avoided. Yeah. Yeah. We want to run from that thing. What do you mean? Yeah. So we don't we don't want suffering. Mm -hmm. The drive the drive here was suffering. <laughs> That's about as much suffering as we want. <laughs> A 
plane ride for an hour with a little bit of leg room. My gosh, I was suffering in that airplane ride. Come on. So Peter doesn't want to hear that Jesus is about to die and suffer at the hands of Pontius Pilate. He doesn't want to hear that. He's like, oh no, because Peter had the things of the world in mind. He was still, his mindset was, Jesus is about to pop off in here, and we're going to have a new kingdom. We're going to separate from Rome, and we're going to be like, deuces, Rome. We ain't, we ain't under y'all anymore. Right? They're still seeing Jesus as this physical king who's yeah. going to come and conquer. Yeah. But then Jesus flips it, and he's like, no, 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 no. If you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to carry your cross and follow me. Yeah. And see, I think we get it mixed up a little bit because people are like, oh, I'm just, uh, my feet are so big, but you know, it's, it's the cross I have to carry. <laughs> oh gosh, my hair, it's so thin, but you know, it's the cross I have to carry. No, 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 you know, I'm not sure Jesus really had that in mind when he said that's the cross you gotta carry. No, 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 no. See, when Jesus was talking about carrying your cross, in that day and age, Jesus was obviously speaking prophetically because the cross hadn't happened yet. The cross hadn't happened yet, and Jesus is already preaching the cross. Isn't that awesome? You better know. And so Jesus is like, listen, you gotta carry your cross. And in that day and age... Carrying your cross means literally that you were being humiliated and yes. suffering wow. as you carried your cross to death. Wow. To death. He's saying you got to deny yourself, which is a season in and of itself. Yeah. Mm. Most of us have a season of having to, to deny ourselves right in the beginning of salvation, right? We're like, okay. Um, I heard throughout this weekend we had to stop drinking. We had to, you know, put uh, sex on pause. And, you know, there's this season of having to deny ourselves, right? We had to drop some friends maybe that were corrupting our good behavior, right? And so we have to deny ourselves. And it's a continual thing, right, as we're continually being sanctified in Christ. But then he says, then you got to carry your cross. And I think we kind of lose the meaning behind that. But... Jesus is saying, listen, you're going to have an appointed suffering. Jesus had an appointed, ordained amount of suffering, a calling of suffering. He's not saying, listen, you got to go and die for the sins of man on the cross. No, that was Jesus's appointment. That was his duty. And he already done and fulfilled his. He's saying, you're going to have an appointed time of suffering. You're going to have an appointed time of persecution. You're going to have an appointed time of death, which is promised to all. And he's saying to carry your cross. It's ordained, and this is a good thing. Listen to what C.H. Spurgeon says about this. Charles Spurgeon says, It would be a very sharp and trying experience to me to think that I have an affliction which God never sent me, that the bitter cup was never filled by his hand, that my trials were never measured out by him, nor sent to me by his arrangement of their weight and quantity. See, we have to change our perspective. If we're going through something, it's because the Lord knows that you can bear up under it. 
It's because the Lord knows, just like Job, that you're going to make it. That you're going to make it. And that's a good thing, y'all. This is a good thing. If suffering is inevitable, we better suffer well then. If suffering is, is inevitable, let's suffer well and bring God the most glory through yes. our suffering. Yes. And so I wasn't sure that I was going to share this. <clears throat> but given my history, there was a time as a new believer that I thought, just attempting to bring some peace to myself. I thought, Lord, I've been through so much already. Surely I've met my quota of suffering. Surely I have met my quota. And I have nothing to look forward to but blessings. Blessings upon blessings. But the Lord has appointed me a different amount. Mm. And so I stand before you suffering even now. Mm. I'm suffering even now through infertility. Mm. And I can't explain to you the sadness mm -hmm. of not being able to have a child. Mm -hmm. But somewhere deep down inside throughout my journey, I have come to so appreciate this season in my life of suffering. And I am able to bring God glory through this season. Because I've been able to lean in on him just a little bit more. Love on him just a little bit more. Trust in him just a little bit more. And don't get me wrong, I have my ups and downs. Where I'm just like, but Lord, what is, what's happening here? And he's not offended by my questions. Yeah. He can take my questions. And he gives me peace. And so believe me, I stand here with you. And I wish suffering wasn't a part. See, suffering isn't a promise. It's actually a principle of Christianity. It is a See, a promise, you have to have a prerequisite in which you meet, you do something to meet something. But suffering is across the board. It's a universal law and a principle in Christianity. We see it, and God uses it for our benefit. Yeah. And so I want to leave you with a song that I have found that has just broken me down and continues to remind me of such the big God that we serve. It's inspired out of the conversation that he had with Job. Mm. It's, a, it's a song inspired by the conversation <laughs> he had with Job. When, Job. when God shows up and starts, he, he tells Job, he says, he says um, brace yourself like a man. Mm. Brace yourself like a man. Because now I am going to speak to you. Because now I'm going to question you. And so when I feel so high and mighty on my big horse. And I'm like, but Lord, I am your servant. But Lord, I have lived for you. I have not turned back, not once. I live to do your will. I live to do your will. 
But nevertheless, I want to be like Job because Job said, though you slay me, I praise you. You really got to have deep down inside a love for God. A love for God to be able to trust that your suffering is not in vain. And so I hope that you find some solace and some bigger picture perspective through this song.